We'll go ahead for uh, runway 13 and uh, requesting a, a couple of turns for airworth. Number 6, Papa Kilo, altimeter 3005, advise one minute, jumpers away. And then Hotel Bravo Uniform, then direct to the airport, from maintain 4000, 430 and 10, departure is 19-0, your First Coast Honda dealers proudly present The High Flyin' Show with Jack O'Brien and the Wiener. Show is brought to you by the Casa Marina Hotel and Restaurant, by Ascent Aviation, by Aircraft General Supply, by Angie Subs, by the Hidden Hills Golf Club, and by Hardball Creative. And now, live from the High Flying Studios, here's your host, Jack O'Brien and the Wiener. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the High Flying Show, the first show of 2000. And 23, and we welcome everyone in this morning and congratulate the Jacksonville Jaguars on a late come from behind 31 to 30 victory last night at the TIAA Bankfield as Bosa, the defensive player for the L.A. Chargers, the bonehead Bosa play, gave the Jaguars a two-point conversion, which allowed them to march down the field with virtually no problem and kick the field goal with just scant seconds on the clock to win 31-30 and advance to the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. Everybody, high five. High five. No Duvals. I don't like that. Duvals imbecilic and moronic. But high, air high fives. Everybody give me an air high five. There we go. Antelone Bizignosi. <laughs> and uh, another good victory for the Jaguars as they move on. Now, if uh, just for the sake of this being an aviation show and, and not a sports show, even though this is Jacksonville's sports radio, 1010XL, I can give you this bit of information. If Miami beats Buffalo, it's possible. Highly unlikely, but possible. And if Baltimore beats Cincinnati, also an unlikely situation, but possible in the NFL, then the Jaguars would be hosting another game downtown next weekend at TIAA Bank Field. And so the Jacksonville, turn that up just a hair, will you please? I like that music. And so the actual Jacksonville resident will be forced to stick their hands in their pockets and pull out another $1,000 to go to a game at, at uh, TIAA Bank Field. And by the way, I want to slam the 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 uh, guys, the, the, the what do you call them, the, the guys that jump on the bandwagon. We'll call them bandwagon jumpers. Over the last, yeah, over the last uh, five months, as the team had started winning, the bandwagon jumpers started jumping back on. These are the same people who told you that they would never, ever, in their wildest dreams, pay any money ever again to attend a Jacksonville Jaguars football game. But no, they were in the stands last night until halftime. When three to 5,000 fans abandoned the stands and the team last night since they were losing 27 to 7. Now, is that a true fan? Someone who no. doesn't stick around and watch the. And plus, the Jaguars are actually pretty consistently a good second half team. So, being a second half team, I had no doubt that they would win that game last night. And I know you're rolling your eyes. I know you're doing that. And you're how going, Jack O'Brien, how would he know that? But I've watched enough. Trevor Lawrence to know that boy can play. 
And uh, <laughs> we've got a pretty good little ball club, so we'll see what happens next. Okay, enough sports. Garfield Benson's in the room, a former naval aviator, former commercial pilot for Northwest Airlines. Good morning, Garfield. Good morning, Jack. We're all here together uh, relishing the win last night. It was really fun to watch. Yeah, I imagine it was, and it went down to, like I said, the wire. And it's good to see you again here this morning, Gar. Thank you. Bill Stull. Our, uh, our uh, kind of a comic in the air guy with one eye. Comic, He's a comic. commercial pilot. I'm sort and also, of a comic. I'm not certified as a comic or anything. Uh, but are you certified commercially as a pilot? I am indeed. With uh, one eye. This when's is the la- remarkable. When's the last time you flew an airplane, Bill? Uh, eight days. Just Really? It's been that long ago? Yeah, it's been it's been eight entire days. Hey, you want to talk more grumpy. about it? You're getting grumpy. We're we'll not taking flying today. Well, why aren't you flying? That's a great question. All right, next uh, next guy we'll talk to is probably a guy that's influential in your flying career. My former instructor and the head of Beach Banners, Joel the Wiener Wiener. Good morning, Jack. How you doing, buddy? Man, everything is good. How's that Beach Banner business going? Well, yesterday it was a little windy, so yeah. I stayed on the ground. Now, where else have you been in uh, Nashville recently? What uh, were you flying Friday, up Friday, we went to Nashville, went up to take a load of people uh to Nashville. Yeah. And, uh, little that's some, icy, that's little, some airplane little, you were flying. Yeah, it's, uh, PC-12 is a machine, a Pilatus, and uh, it's based out of St. Simons Island, and the pilot that flies that was sick, so they called me to fill in. Does it bother you to fly a plane like that, or are you, did, are you oh, thrilled I, the, to the, play? The, the bigger the airplane, the easier it is to fly. Is that right? More automated. Is that right? Yeah. Now, you were sharing a story earlier, and I know we don't want to mention names, but I do want to ask you about this, because I think it's a high-flying piece. Well, you do a lot of stuff with different pilots, and you also uh, assist them. Guys that have virtually low airtime, 200 hours in this case, was had a new airplane he bought. Well, I, I do a lot of mentor flying, so this gentleman, a couple hundred hours under his belt, goes and buys a high-performance airplane with all the bells and whistles. And yeah. I sit there and make sure he doesn't hurt himself for a few hours. What's a plane like that cost? Half a million. Just a half? Just a half. Just a half. Oh, All right. Half. And, and so was there, were there were there any occurrences during this training that you'd like to share well, with Well, sometimes they reach over and grab the wrong switch or the wrong handle and it makes noises or it turns the autopilot off or... Oh, very little, judiciously done. Yeah. The Congratulations. Most, <laughs> you the got most through common, that one. Most common thing is when somebody reaches over to adjust the prop, but they accidentally pull the mixture. Well, that's that's, that's a pretty bad thing to do. Yeah, but it happens. <laughs> it happens a lot. And then in, in students, and we have other instructors in the room, the, the most common thing is they reach over and pull the carburetor heat, but they pull the mixture, and you're on short final, and the prop goes. Dumb. Yeah, <laughs> that's, I've had that happen more than once. Hey, I've got to ask you, how many people that Pilatus uh, carry? It's a ten-seat airplane. Ten-seat, ten-seat. So, two pilots and eight passengers. Now, now, what about what about your Beach Banner business? Have you got any action today? Uh, nothing today. We had some yesterday, but our I was the pilot yesterday, and everybody was saying it was rough for the corn cob flying, and it was blowing <laughs> twenty-nine knots. We closed the hangar door and went home. We started it? pregame early. Well, and, and you normally, when you're flying those banners, you're flying up and down the beach, and I get to see you from my balcony fairly often. And, yeah. and now and then, Joel will go by and give me no. He's, I'm going to be doing a flyby. I'll run out on the balcony, and he'll do a little wave by. That's right. You know? No, but not when you're pulling a banner. You no. Wouldn't, you wouldn't do a wave by. I, well, I wouldn't circle over your condo. It, nor would you tilt the, the you wouldn't yeah, aileron me to death with. Uh, yeah, we wouldn't do that. <laughs> Welcome aboard, Joel. Good to see you again. Our first show. This is our 10th season. 
of High Flying. Wow. Once again, thanks to the First Coast Honda dealers for being such a big supporter of the show, as is Ascent Aviation, the official flight school sponsor of the High Flying Show. And this morning, Jack Bishop and Gabriel Border are here with Ascent Aviation. John Nafak, our regular dude on the show from Ascent, uh, is uh, heading out to Beach Mountain to do a little skiing. So he's uh, if he's on the way right now, John, we hope you have a good time and, and keep those legs straight. Do not bend them when you're skiing. you got to keep those legs straight. No? You don't, uh, you don't uh, know much about skiing, Jack. That's what I say. You want to keep, <laughs> keep these However, bad, as an orthopedic surgeon, I love that you're saying that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, Bill, I think we had to get Jack on the uh, ski trip yeah, sometime. Yeah, yeah. Only tried it once. It did not go well. All right. And let's switch over to a little... This is a little space news I wanted to share with everyone this morning. Things that we learned from NASA's beautiful, wildly successful, uh, Rob, wildly successful Artemis One mission, which recently returned uh, to Earth following a successful trip around the moon. I just want to tell you guys a couple of things about what they found out about this particular initiative. One is that this is uh, 8.8 million pounds of thrust, the most powerful operational rocket in the world and the most powerful rocket ever built. What do you think about that, Gar? Well, it's amazing what they're doing now. You know, even uh, go back to the Saturn rockets. I forget how much many pounds of thrust those things had, but you think about what they have today. It's just remarkable what they what they can do and how much payload they can put into the sky. And think and speaking of payload, the rocket which first emerged as an idea about 12 years ago costing $23 billion to develop is is also fully expendable, meaning that, uh, well, each SLS rocket must be built from scratch. And and NASA Inspector General Paul Martin's name expects each launch of each launch of SLS to cost about $4 billion. Well, we've got it. The United States got a lot of money. It's not a big deal. Just print more. In addition to Orion, delivered uh, the SLS delivered 10 CubeSats to space. These are satellites. Only six of them are now functioning. So six out of 10 ain't good. Orion is humanity's most impressive spaceship, yet the uncrewed Orion clocked over 1.3 million miles during its journey while establishing a pair of new, new records here. It flew, let's see, to a maximum distance 268,554 miles from Earth, the farthest distance traveled by any crew-rated vehicle. But the scariest moment happened on November 23rd, which was the seventh day of the mission. Ground controllers temporarily and uh, unexpectedly lost contact with the spacecraft for 47 minutes. NASA wasn't sure what the problem was with that. Huh. So... Uh, they, they didn't broadcast you, that. So you mentioned you they put these uh, cubes up in the air, and only six to ten worked. Is that was That's the number? That's correct. Four of them went uh, kablooey on them. Okay, I was just thinking when they did that, when they put those up there, they may not have uh, turned those babies on and just stand by sitting up there, and they, they're not working yet. But as soon as they need them, maybe they'll flip them on. you got to push the on button. It's like a computer. Maybe it was yeah. redundancy, and only five out of the ten were supposed to work. Or maybe you should reboot. Everything works well after you reboot. Isn't that right, Bill? Almost everything. Now I yeah. want to know why you aren't flying a, these, a, a plane these days. What's going on with you? I was a little busy. Like doing what? Uh, well, some classified stuff. Um, uh, there were some documents that I found in my garage we had to deal with. Oh. Um, 
divorce papers or a, a bankruptcy Hang tape? On. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, give it an hour, and that's probably what we'll find. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> do the attorneys work on Sundays? Some do at the right price. You betcha. This is the High Flying Show. Billion? It's been brought to you by your First Coast Honda dealers for eight years now. We we appreciate their support. Also a new sponsor, Cune Flowers. For over 70 years, Cune Flowers has been providing floral arrangements for both happy and uh, sometimes somber occasions to the Jacksonville market. And if uh, you're familiar with Cune Flowers, you know that they have a couple of locations in town, but predominantly on Beach Boulevard, there's a huge window display that's been pretty much famous in this area for a long time. And uh, Marty and uh, Michelle at Cune Flowers have joined the team here at, at the High Flying Show. We appreciate their support. So if you need any floral arrangements anytime here in the near future, be it a wedding, a marriage, a funeral, or what have you, then we highly suggest the High Flying Show. Cune Flowers, K-U-H-N. Also, the Casa Marina Hotel and Restaurant opens for their Sunday brunch at 10 o'clock this morning. The Sunday brunch is also relatively well-known in the, in the area, not just for brunch, but for special occasions. The Casa Marina Hotel is famous for their weddings and their other things that they do on location. It's a small hotel, over 100 years old, 23, 24 rooms, but they just host so many events. I think he told me he's got six or seven weddings in January alone. And uh, they also have a penthouse lounge right on the beach, right on the ocean. You can watch Joel Weiner and the beach banner plane fly overhead from the deck at the penthouse, the Casa Marina Hotel. I've done a few wedding proposals there. Oh, you have? They, the, You've proposed to several women there? No, well, my airplane has. <laughs> you mean when I've done many birthday parties and many wedding receptions. You mean will you marry me? Yes. Oh, will you marry me banners around there? Happy birthday, happy anniversaries. It's a good spot to uh, sit and watch anything on the beach. It, it really, really is. And and Mark Vandaloo, our, uh, the general manager at the Casa Marina, has been a strong support. He told me a story about when he, he never did get his license, but he told he told me he flew as a solo student without an instructor, without any... He got, he got soloed up. Yeah. And, and he flew to Illinois and back when he got a hair to go visit his parents. And he took the plane and flew to Illinois, a, a solo to Illinois. And he said, I don't know how I was able to... I said, how could you do that? You weren't even... You only had a couple of the, uh, cross countries, which were Lake City cross countries. Well, I'm glad the weather worked out for him. Apparently it did. Passengers' hats and belongings sucked out of a plane after a door swings open mid-flight. We'll talk about that and other stories here on the High Flying Show right after these words. Thank you for listening. This is the High Flying Show on 1010XL. And the wiener. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the High Flying Show. Oh, I like Paul Simon. Turn that up a little bit you can call me Al. Remember this? What a great tune. A little video Chevy Chase and Paul Simon did with this song, You Can Call Me Al. Jack's cockpit music is a little strange. You have such eclectic music taste. You go from uh, Sugarloaf to Paul Simon. I was telling you guys uh, before the break that uh, a door opened on a passenger flight. And uh, passengers obviously were, were very upset over this turn of events. 
on a Russian flight. It was not Alaskan. I thought it was an Alaskan, but no, it was a Russian flight. A terrifying air safety incident. An aircraft door swings open mid-flight. That's got to be pretty, pretty tough on you. Well, yeah. it makes noise. Yeah. yeah. And especially that uh, makes everything real foggy in the cabin because uh, you depressurize the airplane at altitude and everything turns to fog. Everything, everything turns to fog. Really? And everything comes airborne. All the trash and all the dirt of the place yep. flying around. If there's around. any potato chip bags, they all pop open oh, and they God. fly everywhere. It's a mess. Jeepers. Well, everybody was safe and it landed safely and nobody got hurt, but a bunch of their stuff got sucked out of the plane and rained on the people below down in the... In Siberia or wherever near Russia. We probably do me at the Thank you very much for that. And may the force be with you as well. Air Force's mysterious space plane landed in November, spending two and a half years in orbit. I really like this story because this is a Space Force initiative that touched down at Kennedy Space Center in Florida, two and a half years orbiting around Earth. It's a secret mission. But everybody seems to know about it. The X-37B orbital test vehicle landed November 12th, a new record, 908 days in orbit. Hmm. Took off May of 2020, right after pandemic started, launching on top of a United Launch Alliance Atlas rocket from Cape Canaveral. Uh, the mission payload includes a solar energy experiment designed by the Naval Research Lab that's meant to capture sunlight and convert it into electrical energy. In addition, the uh, China just launched its own space plane, by the way. On August the 4th, a few months before that, that reusable spacecraft experiment is still circling the Earth today. No idea when that's going to land. Flight departures were halted across the United States due to an FAA system outage. Joel, can you share with me what you so know about that? Wednesday morning at about 8.05... We had a national uh, alert come across Notum that they've grounded all all flights because the computer system was malfunctioning. A Notum is a notice to air men used to be now it's air, air missions, missions, right? Um, which is sends out to everybody. So they did a ground stop nationwide. Um, I was taxiing out to take off to go to Palm Beach that morning, and it was a nice and sunny day. So we just went VFR. Oh, good head work. I, they didn't have to cancel. I didn't have to cancel. They canceled me. So yep. it's VFR southbound. So climbed up, and there was a lot of traffic at sixteen and 17,000 feet. Because <laughs> the airspace above 18,000 feet is all IFR traffic. Well, they shut the system down. Oh, So anybody that's flying has to fly, and you're going to take your jet or turboprop as high as you can. So 16,500 and 17,500 were very busy airspace. So they had to stay under 18. Have to stay under 18 okay. to go wherever you're going. Did they offer you radar following? Uh, we did get radar following. Okay, good. Once that... I got to Daytona, Jacksonville didn't do any. Okay. But once I got to Daytona, and it's really weird that you get radar following and there's only 10 airplanes. Yeah, exactly. Where usually Orlando at 9 o'clock in the morning, you can't get a word in edgewise. It's yeah. busy. So. That's amazing. You know, this no tamp thing, it was just an absolute ridiculous thing to happen, though. Because every time you go flying in your with flight packet that you get or your brief, uh, briefing before you go flying, you have to look at the NOTAMs, and that's a requirement. But some of those NOTAMs have been there for days and days and months, and it's repetitive and repetitive. And there are some NOTAMs that are really important to read. Well, if the run, some of the runways are closed or if there's... Sure. Something wrong with the airport, right. you, you get, need to know about you it. You get warning areas that are active. They need to, you need to know about that sort of thing. But there's nothing that says they cannot transmit this to an aircraft in the air 
let you know that you're going into a hey warning area 3577 is hot. You're gonna we're gonna have to take you around that. So a big deal with the new iPad and the satellite technology that's in the cockpit. It's sent to us. Yes, you should you get have, it on our iPhone. That's right. If, if you have the right antenna and the right app. It's an old FAA law that says you have to have a no a no tam briefing before you depart. Correct. And it's now showing that it's outlived its real usefulness. Although uh, no tams are very very important, I grant you that. But the the way it's delivered, I think is is, is old. And it, and it's getting better as as technology gets better. Well, they're gonna have to spend some money to get the technology better. That's all. Because they're in, they're in the nineteen eighties uh, technology in that uh, in the FAA, and they should they need to upgrade. Same technology that. as Southwest Airlines. Oh yeah, isn't they're that, working on it no. too. Isn't that the same technology the VORs are on? I mean, it's kind of the well, same that's, thing. That's nineteen fifty technology, right? And, and there's still a million of them out there. And there's there are quite a number. They're, yeah. they're quite now, a number. there's something else that I'm not sure you know about, but I wrote this note down. I just read this. In Alaska, they've been working with a, a weather camera network, and this extends across the country. In this case, uh, there mostly was Alaska. I'll just give, give you a couple of my notes. A typical weather camera display with a current image, last 10 minutes image, next to a reference image marked to show distance and elevation of key landmarks. Now, this is on top of a METAR. So you get the METAR. It's also available. It tells you the winds and with the cloud heights and stuff. And the me, the METAR reports, let's say the METAR reports, sky clear over the station. But the image shows clouds in different directions that would be of interest to you, Bill, or you, Joel, or Gar, for if you're planning to fly into the area. So they started doing this in Alaska and Hawaii, and they've now expanded this to Montana and Colorado and right, right now they're taking suggestions as to where to position cameras. So you as a pilot, if you had your druthers, and let's say you fly into Nashville a lot, mm-hmm. all right, uh, is there, would that be of benefit to Joel Weiner to have camera angles of the airport, even though you get all the other weather directives and, and, and information? The meet camera angles are great. And when I went to Fairbanks, Alaska and rented a, an airplane, they teach you how to use these and in your path and, when you're going down to the mountain valleys, what it is, is the, it's clear, but you got to go down into the valley. And, right. and if it's fogged out, you get in there and you get stuck. Yeah. And so there's, if you can see the valley before you get there, it helps you and it can save lives. Well, I would think that in the long run, as time goes on, these cameras will be very beneficial to pilots. It's uh, oh, yeah. seems like it's a pretty easy thing to, to install. So have more on that as time goes on. Gar, the, the last ever Boeing 747 has just come off the line, and there will not be any more of those. you want to say a little farewell to the Boeing 747? Well, it's absolutely an unbelievable aircraft. The last 747-800 came off the line. It was a little larger than the regular 747s to start with, though, so the 400, it's even bigger than the 400. Uh, the freight outfits are, not, are, gotten the, are getting these now. However, our new presidential uh, Air Force One and Air Force Two aircraft are going to be the new 800s, and they're, they're still in process of getting put out and uh, vipped up and everything. But the 747 is an unbelievable airplane. When you think about carrying 400 people for 14 hours, you got 390,000 pounds of gas and it weighs almost 890,000 pounds, and those four inches lifted out. I know how it all works, 
but it still amazes me. It truly does. It's sort of like cruise ships. How do they stay above above the water? <laughs> yeah. Like a city floating above. Well, anyhow, the 747, the Boeing 747, last one coming off the line, that'll be it. As the uh, High Flying Show continues this morning, we'll be speaking with a couple of gentlemen from Ascent Aviation. That is the official flight school sponsor of the High Flying Show. They have a couple of locations, Herlong Field and in Fernandina. And this morning we'll be talking to one of their certified flight instructors that works out of Fernandina, Gabriel Border, and he's uh, he's in town from Fort Myers, uh, working here now since Fort Myers had some hurricane issues a, a while back this past summer, and so uh, we look forward to speaking to him and to uh, the gentleman that brought him in here, Jack Bishop, who is also with Ascent Aviation. It's good to see you guys here. We'll be speaking to you in just a couple of minutes. We'll also be talking to you guys about. Tips for better landings for new students. So that's going to be one of the things we're going to be sharing with you and talking to you about. A special thanks to Victor's Payless. Victor's Payless does it again. I sent another uh, friend of mine. They were going to buy this expensive couch at a big box store. I don't need to mention a name. It was a nice couch. It's a nice store. But it was about three times more expensive than exactly the same model and couch that he found at Victor's Payless. And if you go to Victor's Payless, I admit it's kind of a, um, it's not a fancy store. You won't be walking into the lap of luxury when you walk in, but you will be saving hundreds, if not thousands of dollars if you at least take a moment to shop at Victor's Payless. You'll find them on Jacksonville's west side. Go to Victor's Payless, V-I-K-T-O-R-S, victorspayless.com. Also, thanks to Ronnie Leto of Aircraft General Supply. Ronnie's been with the show for uh, ever since day one for a 10-year period now, and uh, we need to bring Ronnie back in here in the show here. Joel, next time you see him, tell him we want yeah. to get his, his butt in here. You know, he needs to come in again. He's been flying that little um, um, J3. That, yes, the J3. The uh, In fact, he's getting out more often than he ever was. He was That thing was gathering cobwebs and dust yeah, for a while. He didn't fly for a few years. Yeah. He, he got back in the, the saddle. Of course, he had his airplane based at St. Mary's Airport, and when they closed the airport up there, he brought it back to Jacksonville. And, That's right. Yeah. Uh, and he's got him a new dog now. He's been he's been, I see you know where we see Ronnie Leto. He he owns Aircraft General Supply. I'll be riding my bike at the beach, and coming up behind me, I'll go, "Hey, Jacko!" And he zooms right by me, and he uh, wonders why I'm. You know, I, I won't say hi to him, but uh, I didn't know it was him. Swear to God, but it happens pretty more often than not. Yeah. He, he rides at the beach every weekend. All right. Which airlines had the most on-time arrivals last year? The current current rankings are out, and I'll share that with you after this break. You're listening to the High Flying Show here at 1010XL Jacksonville Sports Radio. This is the High Flying Show on 1010XL. High Flying with Jack O'Brien and the Wiener. Rob, Rob, uh, pronounce your last name for me, Rob. Masio, I'm going to have to have a course in, in how to run a board. Uh, the, uh, I mean, don't they, te- don't they teach you, know, you this stuff here? <laughs> I mean, it ain't that hard, Rob. I, I know it's, I know it's not. You know, hard. I've had, I blame I've been the fired games. from my volunteer job before. What but, volunteer job was that? Uh, I've been fired. Bill and I have both been fired from our volunteer jobs. I've been fired a million times in my life, so don't take it personal. I've been fired at more radio don't stations fire me, Jack, than, than, than bandwagon jumpers at Jaguar games. <laughs> uh, the, uh, <laughs> I mean, when you see 5,000 people leave a stadium 
at halftime. They had enough. They'd had. They're only too cold, man. And these beers are too expensive. But they, they're, they're not time. true fans. They're bandwagon jumpers. All right, what do I want to share with you? Thanks to you for listening this morning, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to give away a, a, a discovery flight from Ascent Aviation in just a couple of minutes. An opportunity for you and or your guest to ride for the first time, maybe, in a small general aviation aircraft, mostly Cessna 172s, uh, where these gentlemen in the room or one of their employees will take you for your first airplane ride, either above Fernandina or St. Augustine or Jacksonville, Florida. It's quite a thrilling experience, and that uh, discovery is worth about $150, and we'll give that away in mere minutes here on the High Flying Show. Well, congratulations to Delta Airlines for their excellent punctuality. Can you believe it? They were the number one most punctual airline in 2022, according to Sirium and their 2022 on-time performance review. That's quite a feat simply because you look at Delta's uh, area and where they fly and in their route structure, and they're flying all over the United States in bad weather in the, in the north and uh, into the mountains, and they've got a, a, a pretty comprehensive route structure, and that's an unbelievable statistic because being number one in on-time performance in a major airline and have that kind of route structure to perform ahead of it is really something. That, that's a Herculean effort. And you know what? Despite all the problems at the holiday period that we had with not just Southwest but with the weather and all that other stuff, nearly 72% of the more than 5 million flights – that were in North America, made it to their destination on time. The top five were Delta, Alaska Airlines, United Airlines, American Airlines, and Southwest Airlines. Uh, Southwest, for example, placed fifth, close to 75% of its nearly 1.3 million flights arriving on time. Uh, do you always arrive on time, Joel, when you go someplace? I try to be ahead. <laughs> you do? But I, I didn't. To, I always I be didn't a half hour ahead. That. I asked you, do you arrive on time? Ninety percent of the time. Right. Ninety. He's a ninety percenter. Joel's uh, number one. Joel, you're number one. That's it's all good. You beat De De Delta. Airline passengers were left devastated. That's what they say. Devastated and angry when a plane turned back after flying for more than four hours. Uh, this was a Jetstar sent a plane heading back, heading to Bali. Where's Bali? Down in the uh, Indonesia. Yeah, Indonesia area in the South Pacific. Yeah. Uh, it was uh, heading back to Bali, uh, back to Melbourne after several hours of flying. Apparently, what had happened is that the service had been swapped to a larger Boeing 787 plane so it could take more passengers. But the Indonesian regulator not only didn't approve it, didn't know about it. And so when they made the uh, approach to uh, the airport, Apparently, that's when it hit the fan going, you can't land that plane here. We don't have any approval on this plane. Is I've, that how it works? I've never heard of that. I've never, I, don't, I mean, yeah. I don't understand. I don't understand it at all. Well, it's what they said. The service had been swapped to a larger plane, and the Indonesian regulator had not approved the swap, and so they told him to go back home. Well, was it, a, was it a, an Australian air, airline? Well, let me look. Hold on a minute. Um. It's Jetstar. I don't know. Is I, that I don't know what it is know. either. I don't know. But that's that's very unfortunate because, you know, you, you're sitting in, in the plane to begin with, probably on the tarmac for an hour. You finally get the plane or in three. the air. Or three. Yeah. And and you go four hours, and you're finally getting ready to get, off the, get out of the tin can. And, ladies and gentlemen, this is your pilot speaking. 
uh, due to an unfortunate situation, unforeseen circumstances are forcing us to turn this plane around and go back to Bali. Uh, we'll have more information as, they, as it becomes available. In the meantime, how about a free soft drink? Right, and on top of that, uh, they're short finally, don't allow them to land, and then they're going to go back to their uh, dest- or the orig- origination airport. Well, how about the gas? Yeah. yeah, somebody needs to put some gas on. That yeah. might that might have been an issue too, but apparently they had plenty of fuels, so they, yeah. oh, they turned around. I, hey, I, don't, uh, I don't get it. An unfortunate situation in Montgomery, Alabama, about a week or two ago, a ground crew worker died. He was accidentally ingested into the engine of a plane. It was a female, by the way. It was. Um, it was at Montgomery's regional airport. The plane was parked. One of its engines was running. Uh, I mean, is this just plain stupidity or or what? Well, I don't. I, can you not hear a jet engine, boys? I mean, you, you, they make a lot of noise. They make they a lot run, of noise, and, and you shouldn't walk in front of one. They sure shouldn't walk in front of one. Any loose garments, also, you should have nothing loose impediments anywhere in your body when you're walking around. Why is that? Jet Why is that? that? Jet sucks it through right to the engine and yeah. fogs the engine. Oh, well, there's I mean, a lot of suction in front of that dude. That's that's very unfortunate for her, and it's uh, the high flying show is very uh, sorry to hear about that. Just an example, you've got that big jet pod hanging out underneath that, that wing. Yeah. And you, uh, say there's rain on the uh, tarmac. Yeah. You look down on the concrete, and you'll see swirls of, of uh, water spinning up. That's how far that suction can get, goes and uh, bring it towards the, aircraft, uh, the engine. Well, maybe. I don't know what happened. We don't, but I don't want to speculate, but that was, that was a bad scene. A JetBlue flight was evacuated after a laptop fire on Christmas Eve. 160 people fresh from their vacation in Barbados were evacuated to the snowy asphalt at JFK. A laptop fire supposedly caused that problem. Slides were activated. It was 15 degrees, 35-mile-per-hour gusts at the time. 167 people evacuated five people got hurt a little bit no big deal but yeah you know these batteries on these laptops can just go off on you at any time that's nothing we should add to that is that you're not uh, allowed to carry your laptop in your uh, checked baggage because that lithium battery battery is in your bag and that it's gonna that yeah, could lap, that's gonna break down airplane. ipads anything with a battery you don't want to put in the luggage compartment that's exactly right and I'm not sure and, these were in the luggage compartment. It might have just been part of their on-carry-on luggage. But uh, that, uh, you know, anytime you've got any kind of these gadgets these days, you've got batteries. You've got to keep them on in the yeah. cabin. Uh, Gar, this is something you probably are going to be disappointed to hear. Delta and the pilots uh, uh, in their union have reached an agreement on a new contract. This is a pretty juicy new contract. I, I read through the whole thing. I looked at all the parameters, the working rules. I looked at the amount of money they're going to be making. This is a huge step forward in uh, commercial aviation as far as pilot pay is concerned. Especially current pilots. Uh, the uh, Obviously, the younger individuals now getting into aviation are seeing a, an incredible increase in salaries and benefits. Uh, so if you are interested in aviation as a teenager or you have a uh, you are the father or grandfather or grandmother or grand of your of your children. You say, "Man, this isn't really college material," but they may be a pretty good pilot. Now, you're not going to be a jet pilot or a commercial pilot without a college education. But at the same time, growing up in the world of aviation, there's a lot of new opportunities. And in this case, pilots with Delta would receive an 18 percent pay increase. They would receive a five percent pay increase one year later. 
They would receive two 4% pay increases in the two years following that. They would receive a one-time payment of 4% of 2020 and 2021 pay, plus a 14% payment of last year's pay. In the event that um, United or American Airlines negotiates a better contract, Delta would get that pay matched plus 1%. It's it's unbelievable. And on top of that, pilots would get quality of life improvements, which include things like 10 weeks of paid maternity leave or two weeks of paternal leave, significantly improved crew meals. I guess they've been feeding the pilots uh, the uh, the, Uh, (laughs) whatever they've been feeding them, improved health insurance. Now, if you want to get an idea what Delta's first officer makes, between 92 and $242 an hour. While a Delta captain, their pay ranges from 238 to 400, oops, 238 to $334 an hour. So in other words, Delta's most senior captains would be earning roughly 440 per hour or around $440,000 a year, probably a little more than that. That's right. So, but these guys uh, are well paid. They're well trained, and when you get on a Delta aircraft, you know you're going safe because their training department is superlative, and uh, you know you've got yourself a real stable, strong airplane to fly in with a great crew. Gar, when you were with Southwest Airlines and you had a new pilot come in, say from United Airlines that they hired, um, was that? Do you guys look at other? Companies' pilots and go well. Their pilots are aren't as good as the Delta pilots, or is there some of that going on at okay, all? Uh, I worked at Northwest Airlines, and uh, at that point in time, a training department, uh, the training departments at different airlines were considerably different in how they approached the training evolution, and uh, some airlines approached it in a different manner than we did. However, we had one of the finer training departments in the country at Northwest Airlines. Only because of the instructors that were, were giving out the information. Our, our instructor cadre was outstanding, all mili- mostly all military trained officers who considered only one thing, and that is make sure everybody flies SOPA, which is standing operation procedures amplified, and uh, they did everything right. And through the turbulence of the 70s, when the morale at the airlines was lousy because nobody was going anywhere, everything was stagnated, the training department kept that airline, Northwest Airlines, uh, in line, and everybody was safe and well-trained. Now, United had a, a different example of how they did things than we did. But another thing, too, another thing, most airlines don't transfer pilots between airlines. You once you go to Northwest, you're there. You know we don't get any uh, United pilots. Okay, so that didn't happen. That anymore. didn't happen. Okay. This is the High Flying Show. I'm Jack O'Brien with Garfield Benson, Bill Stoll, my co-host Joel Weiner, the gentlemen from uh, ASN Aviation are here, Bob Cam, our normal uh, commercial pilot, old C uh, old ATC guy isn't here this morning. We expect him back next month, I would think. And a special thanks to Kuhn Flowers again for supporting the High Flying Show for over 70 years, Kuhn Flowers. Also, a special thanks to Angie Subs. When you're at the beach just over the Intracoastal off Beach Boulevard, look to your right for Angie's Subs, the most eclectic sub shop in the state of Florida, maybe the United States of America.
And uh, we will be right back after this to speak to the guys at ASEN Aviation and give away Discovery Flight. Stand by. Thanks for listening. A course in how to run a control board. I, I tell you what, I got good. Th- you know, you, we're gonna get we're gonna get Rob up in the airplane. Let him, you, Joel, take him for an airplane ride, and he'll run that airplane right into the ground. <laughs> I, I really appreciate too. that boost of confidence, there, Jack. <laughs> good gracious. That's, um, that's the way to boost the morale of your employees. There's obviously no training program around here. Uh, the <laughs> God. No, because I'm going to stand up for you because I'm the I'm, I'm the senior citizen in this building. And, and it's like E.F. Hutton. When Jack O'Brien talks, management listens. And then they kick my ass out of the building. Joe Kittinger made just one, not just one, but three jumps from the stratosphere, uh, the first manned space flights probably wouldn't have happened without Joe Kittinger. He was born in 1928, and as with all Mercury astronauts, except John Glenn, made him too young to fly during World War II, but positioned him perfectly to participate in the space race during the 50s and 60s. Jagar, he served three tours in Vietnam, flying A-26s and the F-4, shot down by a MiG-21 in 1972, just days before his last tour. But he in 1984, he completed the first solo crossing of the Atlantic in a gas balloon and was active in reestablishing the Gordon Bennett Cup balloon competition. Um, he gave freely of his time to help other record attempts, including Red Bull's Felix Bumgarner. You remember when he jumped from uh, uh, 12 miles or whatever the heck it was. Uh, this guy set the pace for that and jumped three times from the stratosphere. He passed away a couple of weeks ago, and uh, he was a big name in the world of aviation long before most of us in this room were born, other than Gar. Uh, the uh, <laughs> In the room from ASEN Aviation, I'd like to welcome Jack Bishop. Good morning, Jack. Good morning, Jack. Thanks for having us. It's good to have you here, sir. Your your position at ASEN Aviation is like a, a director of the uh, Certified Flight Instructors. Am I right with that? That's correct. I'm the director of our Fernandina Beach location. And Fernandina Beach rolling pretty good right now. You've been open for a few years out there now, We're yes? coming up on our second anniversary. It's going to be the first weekend of May. It's the Amelia Island Air Fair. So anybody interested, uh, come join us out at that event. Uh, we're going to be doing free flights, lots of giveaways, and it's going to be a great time for anyone, all ages, families as well. Well, we need to really promote that as the months come up and we get close to it. ASEN Aviation's been a strong supporter of the High Flying Show for several years now, and and uh, not just uh, you guys that are doing the uh, the line work, if you will. You guys are in the front lines with the students, uh, but of course the management and staff of uh, ASEN Aviation has been big support too. So Jack Bishop, uh, you, are, do you personally take students out, or do you farm that work out to like Gabriel here, who is one of your CFIs? I personally don't instruct. We've got a great team of flight instructors that do a phenomenal job of training these these folks interested in flying and getting a pilot rating. Okay, and in that in that regard, we have Gabriel Bo- Border, Gabriel Border, who is flying out of Fernandina. Good morning to you, Gabriel. Good morning, pleasure. Good, pleasure good to have you here. You ought to be on the radio, man. What a nice voice you have. Thank you. How long you been in Jacksonville now? I grew up in Jacksonville, Ortega area, and right next to the NAS base. So I would see the Blue Angels. 
fly over as a little boy. And yeah. It was, it was a great time there. What got you into aviation? When did you start flying? What got me into aviation, my great-grandfather was a dive bomber in Pearl Harbor. Really? He flew the SBD Donless. Yeah. And we used to drive from Nevada to uh, California, and he would tell war stories, and he would have a, a road map out, so we'd get lost quite often, and <laughs> there's plenty of times to stop and talk. So, But now you're a CFI. You're a certified flight instructor. Double I and multi-engine, yes, sir. Where, well, let's get to that in a minute. Where did you start with your CFI training? Was it with ASAND or was it another firm? I actually did my first discovery flight with ASIN Aviation. My grandfathers would take me up uh, when I was real little, and I flew with my first instructor out of ASIN, out of Herlong. Yeah. How many students are you working with right now? I would say we have probably 20, 20 um, customers that are uh, show up at least weekly. Well, let me give you a couple of examples of some questions that some students have written into the High Flying Show and see if you can kind of, you know, comment on a few of these, make your observations. The fuel gauges we'll start within the airplane aren't really accurately reflecting how much fuel is available. They can show empty even though there may be gas in the tank. Um, what are your what are your recommendations to your students about checking levels of fuel? Is it just looking at the gauges or do we go further and deeper than that? We go much further and deeper with just a simple uh, dipstick, so like a straw. You stick it in the tank, plug it up, and measure how many gallons you have, and that's the most accurate reading. Now, Joel used to tell me, just stick my finger in there. That's how you know it's full. That's right, and usually it was full because he likes to have his planes full of gas, just like he's full of gas most of the time. Now, the uh, uh, let's see what else I have for you here before we get into some landing tips. Um, local go-no-go decisions are pretty easy, and this particular pilot asks, how can he boost his confidence when debating a cross-country flight, especially one that crosses areas of differing weather? What do you have to say about that? I would say maybe start with smaller cross-countries with uh, weather maybe close by, but you still are able to make that smaller cross-country. And as you fly by those storms or weather incoming, you build your confidence. When you see it and experience it, that's how you begin to raise your personal minimums. Now, when you have new students and they're about to go on their first cross-country, they've been up, they've soloed, they're now graduating to the short cross-countries, which is what you're speaking of. How apprehensive are you as a certified flight instructor that they are able to do that and accomplish that on their own? Do you? Is it a special worry there, or are you pretty darn confident that they're going to do it and do it right? So I typically make my decision on the nighttime cross-country. I save the uh, long solo cross-country for almost pre-check ride, right before the check ride. Uh And if they're competent to make the uh, night cross-country with me, then I'm almost certain they're going to make the daytime cross-country just fine. I would think so, because nighttime flying, terribly different, totally different, sorry, than than regular flying. It involves a whole new set of skills and and confident levels. Um, Most uh, of us rookie pilots aren't comfortable flying at night. We don't get a lot of experience doing that. And so when we have the opportunity to do that with a with a CFI sitting next to it, it's a lot more comfortable than going up and doing it when they're on their own. Uh, but I get your point. I think it's a pretty good idea. Now, are there any students that you have ever said that, uh, you know, they want a solo and they've been, I don't know, 30, 40 hours already. What, Gordon, when am I going to get to solo? Gabriel, when am I going to get to solo? And what do you have to say if you don't feel confident about that to them? Well, I typically ask them, well, when are you going to solo? And they'll come back with some sort of response. And typically I get out of them that they're 
they don't feel competent or comfortable in their own abilities. So I kind of um, probe them to admit that they are uh, they don't feel confident in themselves. And if that's the case, then we move on from there and train what we need to. And they're usually more um, receptive to training once they admit what they need to work on and the issues we need to cover. Totally agree with that. I mean, you, the last thing you want up in there is a solo, a solo pilot who's timid or has anxiety and is not confident in their ability. Um, let's do this. Do uh, you guys have any objection to giving away a discovery flight? I think that'd be a great idea. All right. Well, if you're listening to 1010XL right now, this is the High Flying Show. It's 957. Uh, the phone number is 641 10 10 will take caller number five and you will win a discovery flight you can bring a guest if you're preferably a child we like children to go flying not not a two-year-old or anything but maybe an eight to twelve year old kid or grandson or daughter uh but the phone number six four one ten ten rob's going to take your name and and phone number and email address and we will uh, provide you with that discovery flight out of either fernandina or out of herlong so you may get to meet a new student, or you may not, but uh, we hope that uh, uh, the, uh, the experience turns them into a new pilot. That would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? All right. All right. Well, we've been talking to uh, Gabriel Border and Jack Bishop, ASEN Aviation. Do you guys have any, uh, any special uh, suggestions for a new pilot just when they're walking out to the plane for the first time. Gabriel, what do you say to the, the, the first time someone's walking out there, you're doing a little pre-flight before the plane, and now all of a sudden they're going to get in the plane. What are you telling them right there? Well, it's, it's all different. I usually customize the uh, experience for the customer and the student. So um, if it's an older, older-time gentleman, I um, ask him, well, why did it take you so long? What finally got you? in the uh, left seat of an aircraft and typically it's usually always a bucket list or he always dreamed of it or was in the service and never made it to that uh that left seat that captain seat yeah. and if it's a younger uh, student or a younger client I ask him well what got you into this why do you want to do it and sometimes it's just for the enjoyment and experience what's so. the minimum age that you will accept a student a minimum age, I'll accept a student. I've trained um, a 12-year-old. He actually had almost 250 hours. He uh, was uh, he flew heavies on the flight simulator, and I would say he's, to this day, probably the best student I've had on the, the radio comms. Right. Well, okay. Well, listen, it's good to have you both at ASEN Aviation, Fernandina, and in Herlong. Jack and Gabriel, good to have you here this morning. Thank you for yeah, being here. It was a pleasure. Here. Thanks All for right. having us. All right. We're going to wrap it up here on the High Flying Show. Garfield Benson. Bill Stull, Joel Weiner, I'm Jack O'Brien. This is the High Flying Show. We will see you in February. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the First Coast Honda Dealers High Flying Show with Jack O'Brien and the Weiner. Special thanks to Garfield Benson, Bob Cam, Bill Stull, and John Nafak. Be listening each month for the High Flying Show here on Jacksonville Sports Radio 1010XL.